0: The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. What are
1: you going into, or what are you applying to?
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, psych. I apply to psych oh, okay. and PEEDS. Both. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a real surprise what happens yeah. oh, today. <laughs> that envelope. Oh man, yeah. I was just trying to Dave about. We should make an episode all about residency applications because there's mm-hmm. just demystify it a little bit because there's just not a lot of great advice out there. Th- there are some like websites that are really, like, really helpful, but right. for the most part, just it's work. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. very nebulous. We're
0: working on right now. There's more resources coming from M4s for y'all's class and the M3s.
2: Oh, awesome.
3: Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's
4: the Shortcode Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com.
3: Welcome back to the Shortcode Podcast, the show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. It's a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today in the SCP studio, her content is always so creative and inspiring. It's MD-PhD student Aline Sanduk.
2: Hi, everybody.
3: The way he engages with his audience is amazing. It's M1, Trent Gilbert. Hi, everyone. His passion for his work is inspiring. It's M4, Nathan Spitz. What's crackalackin'? And he has a way of making complex topics accessible. It's M1, Leon Sun. What's up? Welcome to the show, Trent. Woo-woo. What did you do before you were a medical student?
4: That's a good question. I, I worked for a year in tech, actually. I was a software engineer. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's pretty random. What, what, I don't really do anything with it anymore. Why but did that's, you switch gears? I, I spent a summer interning, and I, I asked myself, you know, what would I be doing in 20 years, 10 years? And I, I came to the conclusion, like, I would probably become a manager of some sort then I saw what my manager was doing and I was like well I probably would prefer that but also like (laughs) I'd be limited to this like 45 minute commute across the Bay Area every day each way and like you know constantly nagging people about what they were doing and for what you know and like worked for a company that made TurboTax and like Mm. you know (laughs) just not not what I want to leave. Thank you for
3: Thank you for joining the fun.
4: You also answered like five residency
0: interview questions in the span <laughs> of like two minutes. Like, what were you yeah. doing before medicine? Where do you see yourself? And why are five you still years? doing that? How do you yeah. overcome
2: adversity? Mm-hmm. Apply yeah. <laughs> <ready laughs> to med school. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Welcome.
3: So Is much it, of what we do in life and especially in medicine, requires trust in order to do it well. Ideally, we, you know, we trust our families, our friends, our bosses, our political institutions, our spiritual leaders, and, of course, our doctors. I feel like every single one of those things that I mentioned just now could be a laugh line. I cringed when you said institutions.
0: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I was like,
3: And coincidentally,
2: all of those categories include some of the best predators and serial killers of all time. Just, just to be clear, it can go both ways.
3: I, for one, have deep trust of George Santos. Oh, I got political. I'm so sorry.
2: Who is this guy? No, loves George. I, I think this
0: is a bipartisan acknowledgement.
3: <laughs>
2: that, I uh, yes, I think you're right.
0: He is not right. a trustworthy so person. Thank you, yeah.
3: George Santos, for providing Dave with a political foil that he can actually mention on the podcast without engendering a whole bunch of hate from...
2: G- giving something Thank for you, Democrats and Republicans to unite. Yeah, to we'll his, see how it uh, plays out, yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, who
1: is this guy? He could be anyone. <laughs> he
3: could be one of us. He could be a doctor, yeah. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he will. He probably is a doctor. We
2: have-
0: <laughs> yeah. Graduated from <laughs> Baruch, yeah. NYU, Carver College of Medicine. <laughs>
2: Oh God!
3: Anyway, today I thought we would explore the idea of trust. Anyone? Anyone want to sort of hazard a definition of what of what trust is?
2: I think I can give it a try. Go um, f- trust is the belief that an outcome will occur despite you having nothing to do with it.
3: Interesting.
2: Yeah, that's my first thought about trust. trust.
3: Tr- say that again. Trust is
2: trust is the belief that an out, like a desired outcome, will occur without my having to do anything with it. Like,
3: so give us an example of this de- definition.
2: Can you make sure this person takes their medicine on time? I have to go. I I, okay. I, will, I will trust that person will mm-hmm. get it done. So
3: trusting in your colleagues, yeah, is I think what you're saying.
2: I I think that I think you could extend that to like the most global like that's what trust is is like I believe that you will act in my interests. But what does everyone else think? I
0: the the word or phrase word maybe that was coming to my mind was a surrender, and I think it was kind of like a surrender of a loss of control, and which yes. would then create the belief or expectation that so like sur-
3: surrendering your control over a
0: situation. I agree in favor of another person's. With the acknowledgement of, like Aline said, that I, you know, won't have an impact or uh, I may have an impact, but won't. I guess this is circular reasoning to say control, but.
2: No, no, I agree. Like you're surrendering agency. There we go. To another another entity you have no control over. That's profound. Yeah.
1: I think it also has to do with like the, the kind of like capital that the person or entity you're surrendering or trusting has built up. So like. In a medical colleague, well, you know that person has gone through training, and maybe you know that person, and you've seen them do certain work, and that allows them to build a certain level of capital, Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, I can ask them to do like an important task and trust that it's going to get done. Mm -hmm. Whereas somebody like, you know, George Santos, I don't know George, I don't know anything about him, or like what his accomplishments actually are, I wouldn't Nobody trust does. him. Nobody yeah, exactly. Does. Yeah, so he hasn't built up any of that, like, capital. There's no
0: reason mm-hmm. to, to trust him. Hey, He's rocked the drag show in, in Brazil before. I,
3: I trust it. yeah. I would mean, trust good. him to run a <laughs> drag yeah. show. Yeah,
4: yeah. Like, yeah. just yeah. having fun in college. He, he actually did that one, right? Yeah. Like, as yeah. yeah. To everything yeah. else that we've heard about He has him. built that social
0: capital. <laughs> good on you, George. <laughs>
4: I think in terms of trust, I think it's just, it's what you substitute for information you might otherwise have and like, you know, predicting a given outcome. I Mm -hmm. I think like maybe you aren't able to observe all the steps of the process to ensure that what you hope is going to happen happens or maybe, maybe you are going to observe it, but you're not going to be able to exert any control over it. I think, I think Mm -hmm. trust is what steps in there and, you know, helping you Mm -hmm. actually. Believe in something, or, or, you know, proceed with a given decision.
3: So maybe this is like the trust that patients have in their physicians. For instance, Mm -hmm. if they're you know they they you know typical patient doesn't have all the knowledge that they would need to make determinations about the next step, perhaps. But they trust their physicians to have that knowledge. uh, That's a good one. Ideally,
4: yeah.
2: The belief that like someone with more expertise than you will not use it to exploit you, also, but will use it to your benefit because anyone who knows more than you is in a position to exploit you that's true yeah.
3: i feel like the 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 past few years have really tested our definitions of mm-hmm. trust as you know america becomes more polarized as you know the during the pandemic the trust that people had in physicians and science was really sort of it wasn't well demonstrated i'll i'll say that right. for whatever reason you know, the 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 trust in our political institutions, the trust in our bosses and our workplaces to do the right thing. All of this was tested.
2: Trust in institutions, trust in Across institutions, the board.
3: families who maybe disagree about politics or even things like, you know, vaccination or things like that. Like all of this has come into mm-hmm. has come into question. Like mm-hmm. I feel like the age of trust in each other might have at least temporarily come to come to an end for many people.
2: I feel like the basis for civilization is trust, right? The only way we've been able to move forward as a human race, you know, move out of caves where no one trusted anyone else, but, you know, we're able to come together and work towards a, a, a common goal that benefit everyone, the entire foundation for that is trust i just realized as you were saying this how like incredibly deleterious it is to society that no one trusts anyone mm-hmm. anymore because and and once you lose trust it is incredibly hard to get it back yeah. like i don't know of a lot of people that stay together after there's been infidelity and of course i haven't done the science on it but like According to Reddit, Mm -hmm. it is very painful and most people just can't get over like nothing short of following their partner around permanently and having permanent access to their phone. They'll never be able to trust them again. Like it's kind of tragic, but like what's going to happen to us?
0: Yeah, I was in while we were listening, thinking of like I was putting a lot of blame in the US on like our individualistic culture and the lack of trust that we Care for ourselves, and that we don't trust other people for our care or concern, or that an institution would have our best interest at heart, or that science is true or real. But then I also was like, on the flip side, thinking of countries like China right now. I guess they had just gotten rid of the what's the what was the COVID policy zero COVID COVID policy right where people in China had put a huge amount of trust in a more kind of collectivist society into their government and then also started to revolt against that loss of loss of trust or loss of faith that their government was doing what was best for them. And so I don't know. I don't I initially had thought that it was our individualistic society in the U.S. that had led to like such a huge distrust. But I guess we're seeing that. Well, I think the
1: the two situations are a little bit different because like with the U.S., I do think individual or the value of individualism in the U.S. kind of creates is one of the root causes of like the situation we're in now and and certain people have kind of exploited that for you know political gain. Mm -hmm. I think in China the I think what it was was there was a loss of belief that the government was in touch with the people so like when the the shutdowns initially happened people were willing to tolerate it until it got to the point where like and my dad's there right now so mm-hmm. I hear a little bit but once like people couldn't get food or like basic needs met and then it got to the point where like the the fix was worse than the virus itself you know all these mm-hmm. other countries are opening up people see this on the news and then there there is this lack of belief that like the Chinese government is actually like in touch with kind of what the people are actually concerned with. And I think that kind of led to a lot of the, the rebellion and eventual
3: lifting of the policy. Mm-hmm. So the trust only extended so far. I mean, trust is not absolute, you know, you right, you have to continue to sort of demonstrate your, you know, sort of worthiness to be trusted. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, part of that trust comes from, the knowledge that the other party understands what you need. Yeah. Right? So
1: if we bring it back to kind of the, the scope of medicine, like you wouldn't trust your doctor if you figured out your doctor was like, had some other motivation for seeing you or like, or f- for say prescribing. Yeah. Or prescribing certain medications or you, for you or just, you, you got the sense that they didn't have your best interests
3: in mind mm-hmm, or that yeah. they didn't really understand you. That would be, Yeah, like I mean, this is why we have things like, um, you know, the the policy where we have to disclose our financial relationships. Mm-hmm. Even I have to fill out this policy like nobody's, you know, like I have to fill out this form that says I have no financial relationship with, you know, this, that or the other company.
2: You know, as, as annoyed as people get with like rules like that, the fact is like those things exist because they're needed because yeah. there was a person who was ha- had serious, not just one, but probably multiple people who had conflicts of interest, did not disclose them and were... Well, it used to be in that, the bank.
3: yeah. Well, it used to be that you know you would you know I remember when I was a kid and my father was a physician assistant. You know he'd come home from these conferences with like bags of <laughs> swag, swag bag. and you know it was all trash. You know like, but free free is drug.
2: very sexy. Free right. is extreme. Free triggers something in our brains that is like just lizardian, and we just can't help ourselves when yeah. someone says that free. scarcity mindset. And yeah. you would
3: you would hope that I, I think and I think a lot of people sort of felt like. Well, this doesn't have any influence on me, but you know, influence is also subtle.
0: Yeah, even if it's just priming. I mean, you can like social psychology, just like the primacy or recency effect, like you see something more often. Even if you take a pen, you use that pen, you see that pen every single day as you're writing prescriptions and you're choosing between two different, I don't know, SSRIs and. You see one for You'll
3: probably go with the one that you were more, <laughs> yeah. that you were familiar with. Yeah. I, mean, I mean
2: those clipboards with the drug name on the <laughs> clip, you're like your eyes are directly pointed at that every day. It's brilliant mm-hmm. branding actually.
1: And if like you want any more evidence, just like look into like during that period where like the pharma companies were pushing these things, like they were putting money into like getting in doctors' faces and giving them free stuff. Like they would not do I'm that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they would not do that if it, like it wasn't working.
3: Um, I guess there's also, I mean, the, the other component of trust is trusting in ourselves, Mm -hmm. um, which is huge for people in medicine. I mean, you're, you're, you, you are aware of the trust that your patients put in you. And hopefully that makes you consider whether or not you deserve that trust, you know, Aline and, and. And Nathan, you guys are approaching the end of your schooling, your your formal education, or I guess your your undergraduate, undergraduate medical Under- education. I yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, get it. You guys are approaching <laughs> the end of your undergraduate education in medicine, and people are gonna start looking to you as trustworthy physicians. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, your ability to be that trustworthy physician depends upon the trust that you have in yourself. That when push comes to shove, when you mm-hmm. have to make a decision, a medical decision for your patient, how do you trust that you're going to make the right decision?
2: I mean, you're, you're talking about anxiety. I think the way that has been like institutionally established to generate that trust is sheer repetition. And like and this, this is like a pretty common like, you know, therapeutic technique for people with anxiety is like go do a thing where the outcome is so predictable that it will quell your cuz what is anxiety right it's it's the fear of a an outcome that has a very low probability of mm-hmm. happening right so how do you combat that go do a thing that is extremely predictable and you will predict it correctly every time you know but i think that's how we do it in medicine like the repetition isn't just for learning i think it's to build confidence and to to generate I don't know that gut feeling I've been in therapy a long time and like, I feel good, but it's a good place to kind of explore yourself, explore your thinking. And it was in therapy that I realized like how much I have been conditioned to disregard my own judgment Mm -hmm. and my own impressions and my own gut feeling. Like how many people actively, you know, taught me and manipulated me into ignoring my instincts and and not just on an individual level. And I think that this is subject. I think everyone is subjected to this, but I felt it like even more so as a woman, you know, I think women are told that they're being dramatic or crazy or unreasonable. And I've invested a lot of time and energy in building trust in my own judgment and believing what's in front of you, believing Especially when it comes to people, when what someone says and what they do are not in agreement, trust what they do, not what they say. It's so Mm -hmm. much easier to lie than to fake behavior. But you cannot fake what your true instincts are, what your actions
4: are.
0: I like the concept of of practice and repetition. And maybe my trust is, I don't remember what the term is called, but when you learn more, it's kind of like the education slope. The more you learn, the more you know that you don't know. And knowing as we move into this next step or that we will have even more control in the theme of trust or that the buck can stop with us or that we will be the ones prescribing medications that my acknowledgement of my limitations or acknowledgement of that fear or anxiety will promote me to double check will promote me to look on up to date to make sure I have the dosages correct will make sh- you know to help kind of quell some of those anxieties or uncertainties that my actions aren't going to harm somebody short coats we love to hear from you no matter what
3: it's about so call us at 347 short ct with questions shower thoughts complaints about your situation whatever you like we'll talk about it on the show i recall from you know 20 plus years ago when i was training bus drivers we used to i used to tell people that you know It's easy not to, it's easy not to make a mistake in your early, in the early phases of you driving on your Mm. own, right? When people, you know, about six months in, there will be a time when, you know, if you're lucky, there will be a time when all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, I've been driving for an hour now and I don't remember anything (laughs) of what happened. And... Because your brain goes into some sort of automatic, mm-hmm. you know, like, I mean, it's not a very exciting job, right? I think the <laughs> message, the, the message there is, you know, like is, is against overconfidence. Correct. Right. Like you, you got to be careful that your trust doesn't extend so far, that your trust in yourself doesn't extend so far that you're going to miss stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about that? You're kind of, you know, right at the beginning do you think that's going to change? Do you have a lot of self-trust, a lot of self-doubt? Also feel free to be like, I don't want to answer that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think trust is interesting it, it, like in an individual context in that I think it's both earned, like you have to earn trust because overconfidence is obviously not not good and leads to a lot of terrible things in the world. But but it's also necessary, right? Because at a certain point, you have to have a baseline level of trust in order to do any said remember activity function, yeah. like like to to vote for example like you probably have to trust that somebody's going to count your vote or else like you know that's going to change your calculus around it right and like at the same time you know when you consider you know building that trust in yourself you know like I remember when I started driving like I would always like park in like the corner of the parking lot because you know I was always concerned that I would you know hit some hit some other cars and you know but I probably did that for like a week and then like Did anything change in turn? I mean, sure, I, you know, parked between lines a bunch, but at a certain point I had to just decide, well, now I need to start trying to park by other cars, right? the most
2: uh, responsible 15 to 16
4: year old I've <laughs> ever heard time. of. Good uh-huh. for you. Yeah. Good you know. mean, Trent. I, I was, just, I, yeah, a complicated thing, but like, right. Like, you know, I think it, it says something, you know, right. Most 16 year olds are just going to immediately start parking by other people. And, you know, <laughs> like that, it was that really earned? No, but it was also <laughs> probably necessary. Cause like, how else are they ever going to start driving? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, it, it, think about how much trust is just involved in, that process. Society has to trust to give 16 year olds a driving license. Other states don't do that. Driving uniformly. is one of those places
3: where we right. we give a lot of trust to other people I, that we've never met before that I, we have no reason to trust. Like, I, yeah, like why? Mm-hmm. Why would I believe that other people are going to stop for a light, a red light that I I may not be able to see. You know, like think of how much trust we play we we, we place in people to follow the rules of the road. Makes I feel like this food. every day when
1: I, you know, there's like a I'll, I'll be like turning out and there's a car coming in and they have their signal so they're gonna like turn at my exit, mm-hmm. and then it's like, do I go or do do I trust that their <laughs> their signal is on for good reason or or they're gonna I, slow yeah. down? Did they forget it? I, yeah, yeah, maybe they yeah. forgot it earlier mm-hmm. and I'm just gonna get t-boned like an idiot. So.
0: And speaking of, tra- it's interesting too. to... Uh, The and I think a lot of it's boiling down to repetitions, right? Like we have a lot more trust that we're going to be okay driving to the grocery store in our car.
3: Which is demonstrably bullshit.
0: Right. Right. Versus people who have like deathly fears of getting on airplanes. Yeah. And like the the odds that you die in a car crash are higher than an airplane airplane crash. But again, I think it comes down to a loss of control and a lack of repetitions like we talked about yeah maybe these are the tenets of of trust is but,
4: but it's interesting right because like you can only you can be an excellent driver and still get in accidents and like people will still mm-hmm. blame blame you right i mean i think a lot of that's outside of your control you know
2: well i feel like the way we've taken control like thinking about everyday life you're right like the amount of trust i put into my bus driver to not crash you know into the residents that are teaching me to to teach me what I need to know like the only way we've been able to function as efficiently as a society as we do because it is to trust everything because the alternative is to do everything yourself I'm not going to build a car myself that's ridiculous (laughs) but you know that would be so like we kind of have to trust to be able to engage meaningfully in society the thing we haven't talked about yet is like trust but verify so like we had like You know, having rules that force people to disclose their conflicts of interest, that's what empowers us to trust, right? Like airplanes are incredibly safe because there are like very strict, you know, guidelines and also like profound penalties for supposedly for breaking the rule, you know, continuing (laughs) to fly a plane. Yeah, Yeah, supposedly. Yeah. Yeah. But like a lot of a lot is asked of you. But we are and I I think this is what has been hard about this modern era is that. It feels like the demands we are putting on others to prove that they are trustworthy are eroding and and not just eroding, but actively being degraded by people who would benefit from you just blindly trusting them. I think that's why people are so tense now.
3: Well, when you say trust, but verify, that made me think of, you know, the fact that, you know, as an in you are working under the supervision of other physicians who are verifying, hopefully that you are, you know, that you have the knowledge that you need, that you have the. The, the support that you need to make, you know, mm-hmm. the right decisions. One of the things that occurred to me recently, I can't remember what made me think of this is who, who, you know, so who's verifying your attending? I was thinking recently of a, a story I read in the news about an anesthesiologist who, you know, there was an accident while he was giving an epidural yeah, to a pregnant so, woman yeah. and yeah. he oh. did it wrong. He did it wrong. And she died. Her her baby was saved, but she died. And it turns out that he's been doing it wrong for a while. When they went back and looked at his case, he's been doing it wrong for a while. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other people were, were hurt by this anesthesiologist. And yeah. I'm like, who, you know, when you get to a certain point,
0: you know, who watches the watchers, right? Yeah. In terms of like prescribing medications for better, I mean, it's for worse, but the for-profit insurance companies definitely are are watching or verifying <laughs> what people are prescribing into a fault. I think a lot of people aren't able to access medications or therapies that they need because these third parties, i.e., you know United Healthcare, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, etc., have money in the game to watch to verify what people are prescribing and then to put it against guidelines against research against studies that show hey if you haven't tried x we aren't going to you know they have verified they'll look in charts they'll look up prior treatments is it always you know it's always for patients best interest no but at least on like a prescribing front there are i would say for most people people who are like verifying or authorizing what prescriptions are being dispensed to People, I know there are also like note audits, at least like at our, I'm sure at every institution, people's notes will get audited if they're too sparse, if there's billing codes or errors. Um, there are M&M or morbidity and mortality. Con- again, a lot of these are like speaking from a perspective at an academic institution, but there are also morbidity and mortality conferences where attending, you know, attendings and providers from across the specialty and sometimes interdisciplinary will come in and talk about what went wrong. So the
3: so that you're what you're talking about there is physicians helping each other be accountable.
0: Correct. Yep. So you I think there's like a su- restore trust, yeah. you know. Sorry. I'm no, sure. that I was just going to say yeah, it seems like there's at least multiple levels of of fidelity testing, so to speak. I mean, it's never going to be 100% especially in procedural specialties or in procedures in general. I don't think very many people will like open up a chest cavity to make sure you, you know, did every stitch correctly. Or I remember there was one guy who was like initialing his patient's liver oh, or yeah, something that your, like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, right. Like people aren't what gonna open psycho. up, yeah, <laughs> open up somebody's chest to verify that people aren't doing that, but.
2: You know, can I, can I, just as a deflection, a, a tangent to that, like, who was he trying to impress? Like, who was going to see yeah, that? Like a
4: pathologist, Th- maybe? Right, right. Like, like, like,
2: was he planning to I murder them that, later man. and be like, I've really been yeah. trying to uh, impress this this uh, medical examiner, actually? I mean, what was he thinking? Uh, he
1: was an artist. He had to <laughs> put yeah. his yeah, name it on Yeah, it was for himself. I think it was pretty clear. I mean, it's just like, I feel like it's just like a power thing. Like, you're in there and you're like, well, like, nobody's going to know if I, like, maybe do this. But yeah, total but psycho yeah but all exactly.
0: speaking of like verifying information it's so wild to think of the trust patients have in us and our ability to just like totally f it up and i'm thinking of you know even as a medical student you're in clinic and patients ask re- you know statistical questions or research questions about medication so if you talk about a side effect like well what's the percentage of people who get this and I don't know the exact percentages I couldn't name the study I have a what do you say I have a gestalt yeah Yeah. I mean it depends on my familiarity with the subject matter so for example I'm thinking of like sexual side effects from SSRIs I'm you know I can like pretty confidently say at least from studies where people self-report data roughly 40 to 50 percent, you know but like that I highly doubt most patients are going to go home and like PubMed or up to date those statistics those like pieces of information that I provided that they may be blindly or not blindly but whether they integrated that as as facts or as knowledge I'm not sure but it's kind of wild the and we saw this exploited with research on vaccines and you know physicians and other providers kind of exploiting that trust and skirting it away from that's
1: why I kind of like I kind of have been thinking about what you were saying about kind of insurance companies and these groups that will kind of look over doctors' notes and what they do, and it's like you're totally correct. Where like they're in it for the money, but like, like is the University of Iowa like well suited to to just be like detailing over the work of attendings and making sure it's all good and everything's done correctly? And it's the answer is not really right. because or you know they just don't have the resources to commit. But then these like insurers who yeah, they have skin in the game, they have money in the game, like I sometimes wonder, well, they have this like mechanism in place to kind of look over what people are doing and they have an incentive to make sure it's being done according to like clinical practice guidelines. I wonder if there's some kind of middle ground where they can help catch some of these mistakes before they happen. Like maybe if they had seen like, you know, the anesthesiologist that had been performing procedures incorrectly for a while, what if there was some mechanism in place where they could be like, hey, like this one guy... Or like this hospital's outcomes for like epidurals are like worse for some reason, mm-hmm. and then they can locate it to a department and then like flag that. That could be, prob that's probably an unpopular idea because what it means is these insurance companies are getting way more involved well, in like.
3: It doesn't have to be insurance companies, you know. Like, I, I think the I think the problem with insurance companies is 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 that their their motivation isn't necessarily better patient outcomes, their motivation is to spend less money yeah. and accumulate more profit, right? So right, but there's,
1: there's like a, an overlap between the two, right? Because if you keep your patients healthy, the insurers are going to spend less money because you're not, you know... The U- I companies. don't trust you
0: The U.S. government does this. I don't remember the exact terminology. You'll learn it in like the mass three small groups, but Medicaid, Medicare, mm-hmm. like the U.S. Yeah. insurance company or whatever, federally funded, state funded Medicaid too, will like... Designate hospitals or treatment centers based on like outcomes and like quality according to those facilities and i can't give you even more i'm like i can remember the session i can't give you more information beyond that but if there are like poor performers or if there's poor health outcomes etc they'll like lower the tier or ranking and like not allow not allow but not necessarily like cover procedures at that institution as well and kind of like institutionally I'm thinking of like the OB department for example like tightly monitors the amount of C-sections versus vaginal deliveries that they do and they like have individual provider level they have like nurse midwife versus yeah they, they basically like, it, yeah. your
3: statistics and try to figure out if you are providing the right yeah,
0: outcomes and so it's not necessarily insurance companies but you know the state also will monitor but interesting. opioid prescriptions and controlled substances and so I think there are surgeries are a little trickier but they do track you know readmission rates. They track post-op infection rates. They track death rates associated. So I think there are a lot. There's not a lot of inter. You know, like in the in the moment monitoring. You know. that, well, that is where do, like
1: healthcare is. If you look at kind of so CMS, what you're talking about. So that's Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So they. A lot of their demonstration projects that they do now are related to like outcomes. And so they'll like set metrics and then you can do payments that are based off of like your outcomes. That's kind of a simplification. So that I I feel like that is a good direction for like healthcare to move in Mm -hmm. kind of away from volume driven models, away from or towards outcome driven models. And that could be like another form of accountability and like trust building that we know that there's a financial incentive not for, you know, doctors just in hospitals to like generate volume and do procedures, but rather to make sure their patients are healthy. That could be another form of kind of accountability that's not tied to an insurer.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, I I think I hear what you're saying. What you're trying to say is just because their motivation is not altruistic, it doesn't mean that the, the actions they're carrying out don't have like good right. like bo- there's room yeah. for Both. you know <laughs> profit seeking and altruism to intersect that's the only way yeah, altruism the,
1: can work in america is like yeah you're
2: absolutely i i kind of agree i do agree that like trusting an institution to a police it's asking anyone to police their own behavior is a very risky thing mm-hmm. and
3: because there's always going to be somebody who I mean, you know, no matter how much you try to hire people who are going to do the right thing and people have a high sense of or, you know, who value honesty and integrity highly, you know, people are going to slip through and there's always going to be that one,
2: you know, even unintentionally. The fact is that, like, people are always going to side with the known over the Like, you know, I'm thinking of a specific institution or like a specific process. But the fact is that, like, asking people to, you know, like we looked into ourselves and we've concluded we did nothing <laughs> wrong is yeah. 90% of the outcomes of these you know supposed you know mm-hmm. internal reviews and things like that i firmly believe that people should be or like institutions should be evaluated by an outside force yeah. whether it's you know i agree i would prefer a group of people that were elected and that you know are beholden to us as a public yeah. versus maybe a profit you know making organization but it doesn't mean that existing mechanisms can't be harnessed to the benefit of patients and mm-hmm. so ideally more than w- one set of eyes really yeah
0: slay like police institution all these like internal reviews and yeah, yeah. anyway I digress. you know I w-
2: just to like follow up on that yeah. point the amount like the, the extent to which like TV shows lead us to believe that cops hate like IR and like internal review I think that's propaganda I, I don't think that they hate them as much as like they actually do in real life but i don't know i don't know a lot of right. cops but it's, it's like, a lot it's
0: probably more work for them because it's internal review so it would be more work for them but yeah i'm sure they would love that more than like you said an elected like a, not a school board but some type of like public safety council
3: Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today i'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on instagram or facebook or tweeting about us and don't forget to tag us in your post
2: thank you
0: have you ever felt a lack of trust from a patient? Oh, a hundred. I don't know what your experience on psychiatry has been, Aline, but especially on inpatient psychiatry rotations, this is something that I still like grapple with. And there's debates in the field on whether we should allow involuntary psychiatric commitments or not. I'm thinking of people who are active, you know, experiencing psychosis right now. And there's one patient that comes to mind that I was caring for. Who had been admitted several times before, always involuntary commitment. Never believed that he had a mental illness or had schizophrenia. Totally disagreed with the diagnosis and just had such a distrust for the system. On an air quote, it's always subjective, but was struggling to care for himself and was brought in by police for harassing other people. Trying to like minimize identifiable information. Regardless, this person, you know, did not trust. Us as healthcare providers that we had his best interest in heart. He didn't trust that he had a diagnosis of schizophrenia. He didn't trust the treatments that we had, and so we had to, you know, the provider the residents on the team had to call into the courts and like legally strip this person of their rights and freedoms to hold them on our unit. He continued to not trust our diagnosis or treatments offered, and then like the out uh, the result of that was that we had to wait for the court order to come in to like give intravenous medications against his desired or expressed will um i would say when he was discharged there were breaks or you could see kind of like slivers of increased trust or at least he expressed to us that he would you know we had put in there's kind of like legal ways to pull people back into treatment if they don't show up but had expressed that he would come in so i think it like improved but Every single like moment of that person's hospitalization, just like a lack of trust in us as people that we were telling the truth, a lack of trust in the system. And that that's a tale, I guess, as old as time in psychiatry. But
3: How do you react to I mean, what's the most I don't know, what's the best way to react to a patient who doesn't trust you?
0: I think in a common tra- this is across specialties is to ask questions, to be curious to ask you know why what you know is there Why i guess you can ask why or how people come to that conclusion so you know i'm hearing that you don't believe this like can you help me understand how you like are thinking about this can you help me understand or can you please explain you know what we can do to better understand so i think it comes from like both perspectives for one for us to ask and try to understand more and then to also like look back on ourselves and see question ourselves and see what we can be doing better how we can better connect with people even if they do distrust us to try and build some of that gap again to like we're just talking about having aligned priorities I think are some of the steps that we can take
2: yeah I think it is disproportionately more evident in psychiatry I think than other specialties but I think that's the challenge of psychiatry is that Unlike most other specialties where people want your help, the vast majority of psych patients are actively working again. Like, they like what they have. Like, manic patients love being manic. They love not needing sleep. They love being hypersexual. They love, you know, the it's idea euphoric. of running for president. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you're 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 <laughs> the sat. You're you're the party pooper coming in being like, all right, that's enough now. You need to go. back to a <laughs> Like, of course, they don't like us. I and, know you're
3: having fun, but
2: yeah. And schizophrenic patients are the same way. Like their delusions bring them a lot of comfort and safety. And mm-hmm. we're the people coming in trying to, you know, they yeah, don't reality see sucks.
3: Yeah. Why are you doing that?
2: I was going to say, like, there's an argument to be made that, like, not all delusions are, but like, I delude myself into thinking that other people know how to drive as well as I do, coming back, you know, to call back to what we're talking about. But like, there are delusions that become so destructive that it's, you, you know, the person's now at risk. But like, part of what's part of what makes schizophrenia so difficult to treat is that it what is essential is getting the schizophrenic patient to comply with their treatment and to get them to believe that you are telling them the truth and that their delusions, which they have had for so many years, whatever the case may be, is the reality. It's really difficult.
0: And we're strangers. We're people that, and they have eight different doctors. and, And so it's interesting. I don't remember the exact mechanism on why, but in psychosis, like the first, the most common first presenting symptom is paranoia, which I feel like is like the antithesis of trust. It's a lack of trust. It's an active distrust. And other people, and whether it's you know s- psychosis from schizophrenia or substances or whatever, you know, I think a lot of people, listeners, if you like, have dabbled in the edible, you know, the devil's lettuce or things like that. You know, one of the aside <laughs> from anxiety, you know, like the next common like symptom is paranoia, and that's kind of yeah. like a borderline psychosis. Sorry, this is not to like scare, the scare listeners, but the devil's
3: lettuce. lettuce. Yeah, I'm so not Mary, sure I've heard that one. Mary, jo-
0: yeah. whatever you want to call it, but
2: yeah. I have a. Predi- this is a little off topic, but as I, I was thinking about this recently, I have a prediction that the field of psychiatry is going to take a pretty big nosedive in quality over the next, I would say, five to eight years. And here's the reason: there's a very specific type of person that goes into psychiatry, and historically, those people go into psychiatry because they're genuinely interested in people's stories mm-hmm. because they approach their patients who most of the rest of society is like. Put this person in a cage and throw away the key we don't want to deal with it eric like, adams yeah 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 exactly like we care we care about these people we care about their stories whom other people have completely rejected however a lot of people have caught on that psych is an awesome job where you get paid well and you have a pretty reasonable workload so a lot of people are now going into that field for the lifestyle not for the essence of the thing and I think you're you're going to see a real we're going to we're going to lose the gains we've made over the last few years. The, the compassion and the care that goes into psychiatry, I think, is going to take a little bit of a hit because the profession is now being infused with people who are attracted to the lifestyle and don't realize maybe as much as they should. Maybe I'm making a presumption that feelings are hard. And talking to patients is hard, and Mm -hmm. it's disproportionately more important in psych because of what you're talking about here. You're you're dealing with patients who really like the way that they feel and are actively working against your efforts to control their symptoms. Well, that
3: will Mm -hmm. be an interesting prediction to track in the future. Not us,
2: though. Exactly. We're We're cool. We're in it to to win it.
0: Um, But to continue on that, I also think this may be like a nice segue to, to also talk about... The harm that, and it's maybe it's from the patient's perspective, but also the harm that, like, we as a healthcare system or as an institution have done onto other people or demographics of people. I'm thinking of, you know, I was in the CPEP or the Comprehensive Psychiatric Emergency Program, which is a program in, it's essentially like dedicated Psyche ERs in New York City. And to see Black patients come, or not this, obviously, isn't, I'm thinking of several who just like, totally distrusted the healthcare system, didn't believe that we as providers had their best interest at heart, and rightfully so. I mean, we as a healthcare institution, as a government, have done harmful research, experiments. I mean, currently looking at maternal mortality rates, looking at institutionalization, looking at the research of providers who discredit pain. It's like the list goes on. Totally. But I think it's like a rightful distrust or it's an earned distrust yeah. we talked about you have to earn somebody's trust especially coming from a place of of harm and an experience or there's also like experiences done directly on people. I'm thinking of, you know, whether it's LGBTQ plus. Substantiated.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Like it, there it's not just a belief, but like there is actual historical mm-hmm. proof for their lack of trust. Sorry to interrupt. No, you.
0: yeah. And there's also, I think, like a direct harm that we do and not just on like other people, on people themselves. I'm thinking of people who use substances, who, you know, get told oh, you're just going to die anyway, you're not worth our time, you know, whatever. Oh, just go use when you're out of here, et cetera.
3: You're a criminal, you don't deserve our our empathy, our compassion. Correct, yeah,
0: and that similar lens, I think, can be extrapolated to people experiencing obesity who, like, that just becomes, like, the focus of every single appointment that they go to. How am I going to, how is that person going to have trust that the next time they go to an appointment or when something's seriously wrong that they're going to be, that they're, you know, priorities that their wants needs, their pain is going to be heard, to listen to and not like hid behind. I mean, there's so many reasons that patients have not to trust.
3: And and, and you know what? The, the, I So Kate and I have been doing this project in the last year or so where we've been introduced in, interviewing patients and recording their interviews, hopefully to someday integrate them into the curriculum. And one of the themes that we've come to understand is that it really only it, it only takes one interaction to change someone's perception positive or negative mm-hmm. you know that I, I I had two examples one from a from a a teen mother former you know she was an old older person when we were interviewing her, but she was a teen mom whose experiences made her you know from the beginning distrust her you know, medical medicine. And then there was another one from a mom who, from a, from a teen mom who experienced substance use and and who had the same problem, you know, trust issues, but then had an encounter with somebody who completely turned it around and completely made her buy in to the idea that she was able to get help. And, and I think the message there is you can screw it up real bad or you can Or, or you can turn it around to a very positive place. All, you know, just with one interaction. But it really takes, you know, focus and energy to understand what your influence on a patient might be. Mm -hmm. I think it's also hard because, like, God, that was like. I feel like I did not express that very well at the end. <laughs> no, you're saying. But yeah, I think you know yeah, what yeah, I'm right saying, right Uncle
0: on. Uncle yeah. Ben. Yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, I and okay. Like TLDR. As, yeah, we as providers fun. have immense power. Okay, sorry, Leon. No,
1: sorry. well, I was just saying, like, because somebody who has a bad experience, may not just come back at all. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. like so. And your what, goal, yeah. after
3: all, is to keep them coming back for healthcare right. because they need it.
1: or the other thing they can do is they could switch hospitals or like doctors. So like I I think it's really important to keep that in mind, especially when you're interacting with the patient for the first time. Just like where are they at with the medical system? Because we interact with our colleagues and patients all the time. So we kind of I think have a sense of like what's going on behind the scenes. But like, yeah, a patient that has one bad interaction, they might not come back. So you may not have the opportunity to repair kind of the damage that you did. But you may have an opportunity to repair the damage that somebody else did before they came to you. Yeah, so that's good keeping point. that in mind, you know, no pressure. But kind of seeing where patients are at with their journey through healthcare and saying, hey, like this interaction that I have could be the one that, that turns things around or that like slowly chips away at this perception that they've built up. I mean, the same thing happened to me kind of when I first started having health problems a few years ago. I had a couple bad interactions just early on that totally turned me off of healthcare and it was a physical problem. So physical therapy as well. And it took a really long time and a lot of interactions and a lot of trust building before I was like, okay, like I'm ready to to go back and like work on these issues, but it took time and it took a lot of like
0: reflection and a lot of positive experiences with like good providers. Mm-hmm. Tying it back to what Aline said. once you cheat once, like it's so it takes years and years. Yeah. It takes repetition to, to demonstrate are working towards trust and it wouldn't be the shortcut podcast if I didn't take like one minute to rank like ram against the system and like we're putting a lot of onus on providers and yes we have a lot of power but also like the institutions that we work in like actively work against us so I can't speak to what your experience was like but I'm thinking of patients who come into primary care appointments and they have 10 minutes and they have like 18 different problems that they feel like are all going to get addressed and maybe it's just expectation building on the providers end, but like the system that we're like slotted in I don't feel like actively like builds that arena to build trust to like i want to actively like listen to i want to get to know who you are as a person i want to know how these problems are impacting you i want to know like what's most important to you and to like boom that's already like half the visit before they've even like said their name you know or introduced the first problem yeah. and it's it's so hard to so keep fighting against the machine people
3: yeah well on that note <laughs> yeah. that's our show aline nathan leon tyler thanks for being Trent, on the show Trent,
0: today Trent
3: Trent. Trent. Oh,
2: I'm not the only screw-up here today.
3: Oh, damn it. And what kind of untrust, untrustworthy human would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us a part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The show is made possible by a generous nation by Carver College of Medicine, student government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. You may leave. I know you got things to do. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying don't let the bastards get you
0: down. Talk to you in one week. No, bastards. Ah. Mm-hmm. Good luck at your one o'clock things. On.
3: <laughs> Hi, Short Coats. Look, life and medical education... Life in America, life in the world is often difficult and I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need